Welcome back to the How to Take Sports podcast presented by Sib Sports. This is your host, John Ashkar, and today I have co-host Jack Vandermater with me. What's up? What's up? This is the first episode of the new decade, 2020. Ready, Jack? Let's do it. About to light it up this year. It All feels right. like uh, the last decade was just so recent. Like four days ago. That's just so weird. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get started. So, a lot has been happening with Cleveland and Ohio State sports. Especially the Cleveland Browns, feels like it's just a whole show all year round now. I mean, it feels like there's always some sort of drama or news coming out with this team. Yeah, I, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if these guys can ever get it together. And uh, I don't know, I just feel like there's going to be even more news with all the leaks and everything that just comes out like soon. But right. let's yeah. start about with what's happening right now. The Browns fired head coach Freddie Kitchens, which both Jack and I are pretty happy about. Pretty ecstatic about. I definitely think it was a good move. We were both high on him when he was initially hired by also uh, let go John Dorsey, but we're willing to admit that we were wrong. Oh, for sure. I I was like one of the people defending Freddie Kitchens. You know, when Stephen A. Smith came on talking about, oh, the Browns, who knows how good they're going to be. You got this first-year head coach, and, I, man, I thought Freddie was the real deal, but it turns out it was all wise talk. He knew how to talk it up. I'll, I'll oh, yeah, totally, that. totally. Like, no, he was, it was, yeah. it was... It was like a brand that he had, and he was good at it. No, yeah, he had me convinced. He had, me, he had a lot of people convinced. If you ain't wearing orange and brown, then you don't belong here. Well, I guess <laughs> he's no longer wearing an orange and brown, so he doesn't matter either. All right. <laughs> all right, so the Browns are currently searching for a new head coach right now. And they've brought in a surplus of offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators and just guys in general that they think could really turn this team around. And in the past, we've done that, and it really hasn't helped. And this time, we're not letting our GM do it. We're letting Paul De Podesta run this, Jack. Yeah, and Paul De Podesta, for those who don't know, it's a, he's coming, he has a baseball background. Which will be interesting. It's a classic Browns move, I think. Yeah, if you guys haven't heard, he was actually part of Moneyball with Billy Bean, who yeah. created that low-spending team that actually made it to the playoffs for the Athletics. They made a movie about it, but you want to so, keep going on it. So we'll see. But yeah, he's running the search this time rather than John Dorsey. John Dorsey was let go for this very reason, the control freak nature inside of him. But to the coaches. Yeah, so um, the first coach that the Browns are the highest on is Josh McDaniels. And yeah. he would be coming over from the Patriots. He's their offensive coordinator. He has been for the past, like, 10 years. And before that, he was the coach of the Denver Broncos. And did that go hot, Jack? That did not go very well and is one of the biggest reasons why I don't want him. 11-17 and 17 record for the Denver Broncos in two seasons as the head coach back in 2009. And... Personally, I just don't think I think he's the, he's the Patriots' offensive coordinator now, and I don't think they're they had a pretty down year offensively. Yeah, I'm. I mean, like you, it's one year, and obviously you've seen what he's done with Tom Brady and those guys in uh, New England with all of their Super Bowls and everything. But I also agree with you, Jack, that I just really wouldn't want to see him here in Cleveland. I don't think from his past that he would be a head coach, and I just think the whole being in New England and having Bill Belichick be there with you. I really think, like, obviously their offense has been good, but I just don't think he's the answer to this Browns team. I don't think he could lead a team on his own. Well, and I agree with that. I think he's a popular pick. So you, we talk about head coaching search on our Twitter, and the, by far the most popular picks are Mike McCarthy and Josh McDaniels. I also think Josh McDaniels is the favorite for the Browns on who they want. 
with that said, I think, like you mentioned, in New England, it, New England makes everyone better. Bill Belichick, whether it's a player or a coach, you saw Matt Patricia, who was super highly sought after a couple years ago. He's currently completely flopping for Detroit. And they I have a top 10 pick. Right. And I just don't, I don't think McDaniels is, is capable of going out on his own and being a successful coach. But we'll see. I mean, I, I think he, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up being the coach. So, mm-hmm. fingers yeah. crossed. So, we do have a secret sort of source. Yeah. Who knows people higher in the organization and who has let us know that McDaniels is one of the two favorites for the Browns head coaching search. Nothing's final. Yeah. But they are really, they like really, really want him. They really like McDaniels. And I think, you know, all this news is temporary as they're still interviewing all these dudes. Exactly. But, but yeah, McDaniels and the other one you want to mention? Well, the other one was kind of a dark horse. It was Urban Meyer. So we'll move on to him. Jimmy Haslam said that they were not considering him, but there was multiple reports that Meyer was at the building, at the facility, and that they were interviewing him. And why would he bring him up if they weren't interviewing him anyways? They're not interviewing Lincoln Riley. They're not bringing up – they're not interviewing Matt Rule, and he never brought those guys up. So why would he even talk about him in the first place? So like you mentioned, I think he is a dark horse candidate. He's never coached in the NFL, which – scares me a lot but he has been a head coach yeah uh, so that's a, a successful one. that's the thing that he's been super successful in college football but you got to take that for yeah, yeah you got to take that lightly because not lightly but just you can't take it so seriously because that's college it's so different than the nfl and yeah we are interested in coaches from college but i, I just don't know about urban he's had to leave his previous two jobs for health reasons so i mean I, I really hope he's okay, but what says he's better? What says he can come in here and not have those same health problems? You saw him on the sidelines at Ohio State. He was bent down, head, like, hurting. Like, he was just in visible pain. And, like, who says that stops here with the NFL? I mean, it could be even more of a stressful job. Right. And, I mean, the, the health problems are one thing for the longevity. You know, if he does work out, how, you know, is he going to be able to stay here and really create a culture long term? With that said, though, regardless of the health problems, let's just assume that he would be healthy. Is he a guy that can get this locker room under control and turn this, you know, turn this team around? Because, like you mentioned, he's never coached in the NFL. Despite how much success you have, there's gonna be a learning curve. Mm-hmm. Is he one of those guys that can come in and do it right away? That's the one strong suit I think that comes with Urban Meyer I really think he could get the locker room and hold the one problem he had at Ohio State is that it was way too serious like way too serious he was coaching the college team like an NFL team and that's why Ohio State had those huge losses every year versus like Iowa and Purdue and everything because they were just so afraid to mess up because it was just so serious it was too much for those college kids but I think that would honestly translate over really well to the NFL because you got to be serious like that. And we saw a coach who wasn't serious and who didn't take responsibility and what happened with that. We went 6-10. and 10. So that's why I think Urban Meyer could be a good candidate, but would I want to see him? Probably not. He's probably not my number one choice. But if we ended up hiring him, which would be a kind of a that know, would be risky. surprise and a, and a risk, I, th- I would – I'd be interested. You know, I think there's yeah. some talent that comes with it. Talking about interesting coaching prospects, I know you really like Robert Sala from 
San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, he's one of my favorite. He's actually my personal choice for head coach, and we're interviewing him today, actually, as we record this podcast. The Browns are not the, the hottest takes for podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish, but but he's my fa- my pick for a couple reasons. Yeah, let me know why. Um, so, first of all, he is one of the most liked coaches by his players. That's one of the n- number one things you first see or hear about him when, when or just look for right when you're talking about him but he his players love him they love playing for him and he's well respected number two i wouldn't mind turning this browns team oh everyone talks about the offense i wouldn't mind getting the defense locked down first and he's done a fantastic job with the 49ers defense this year taking all those talented pieces and really getting the best out of them. And what wins championships, Jack? And defense wins championships. I mean, Thank if you me. think about all the recent teams, all the big dynasties that have won over the years, I mean, they just have these amazing defenses like the Steelers, the Seahawks, the Ravens. Right. And you you got to have a solid defense that's not going to just show up some days and completely go bye-bye others. You have, they have to be disciplined. And this this year you saw it was a complete mess. Some day, Some games they would show up. Some games they would show up for a quarter. And then the rest of the game, it was a mess. So I think if we get the defense secured, then we can worry about an offensive coordinator, and he can call play calls. I, I just, I love, you know, his like, Outlook what he brings. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and then he's also kind of a package deal. Yeah. So, which is interesting. Well, uh, two things. I, just going back to our defense from this year, I saw some reports that the Browns would maybe want to keep Steve Wilkes, and I would be very. I would not like that. I would be. I, I would hate that too. Yeah. I, I don't think he did a good job. Um, I don't think they should bring him back. I mean, they did look very good at the beginning of the year, and he did lose a lot of pieces. Like obviously, Miles Garrett. You're going to take a hit when that type of talent leaves. And Morgan Burnett, who actually played really well for the Browns, mm-hmm. but I don't think we should bring him back. But anyways, back to Salem. He is coming with the package deal. The Browns today, when they interviewed him, were also interviewing Mike Lafleur. And that is the younger brother of Packers head coach Matt LaFleur. And Mike is the passing game coordinator in San Francisco. And then they also interviewed Mike McDaniels. Mike McDaniel, no relation to Josh. He's their run game coordinator in San Francisco. So Saylor would already bring over guys with him when or if he got hired. So if you're hiring Saylor, you already have a head coach and an offensive coordinator. And he is very good at... Doing the defense. So, I mean, you could leave it up to him to just bring in a defensive coordinator. But if you hire him, you kind of have everything down pat there. And which I personally like because, I mean, first of all, you look at those two guys for offensive coordinator, and they did a great job. Like, the Niners' run defense torched the Browns when we played them. Oh, yeah. Or not the the Niners' run, run, sorry. Yeah, their run Um, offense. Yeah, the run offense torched the Browns. And then their passing game offense has been very solid, too, under Jimmy Garoppolo. And, And just kind of a little bit of a makeshift passing offense. Obviously, you have Kittle, but like you trade for a Sanders and yeah, he Manuel fits Sanders. in. And, and, Debo you know, Samuels had a great year as a rookie. As a rookie. So, like, they both run and offense uh, and pass offense for the Niners have been great this year. But, I mean, um, I mean, he doesn't have a huge part in the offense, but true, the coordinators true. that he would bring over would. And let's be real, the Browns are a running team. Yeah. We do have Odell, we do have Jarvis, but, I mean, dang, we have, like, we have, we have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. You gotta run the ball, and that's yeah. what these coordinate the the uh, passing and run game coordinators did so well with the 49ers. They ran the ball, and that's what like intrigues me about Sela. Sela is 
you bring in Sela, you get the defense secured, defense and then and then the run and then you get the run game going, you become the best defense and run, in, and then there you go. It's like then the passing game just falls into place. There's also another candidate who has shown us how he can just totally manipulate the run offense, and that's Greg Roman, who has done, obviously, an amazing job with Lamar Jackson and Baltimore Ravens. So Greg Roman would be an interesting choice just because it's hard to say how much credit he deserves for the Baltimore Ravens season. Everyone's seen it. Lamar Jackson had an incredible year. MVP season. MVP season. Uh, Mark Ingram had a great year, and just... Mark Andrews, pieces all around the offense were having monster years. And then, obviously, the team won. How many games? They won... I think 12 games. 12 games. But, uh, no, 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 no. They won 14, right? But the moral of the story is that they won and we didn't. Right. So, so Greg Roman, yeah, they won 14-2. and two. The Ravens absolutely destroyed this division. Their last loss was, what, week three to the Browns? To the Browns. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, yeah. So, that's insane. But yeah, so how much credit does Greg Roman deserve? The one thing I will say that I think he does deserve a lot of credit is he built that offense around Lamar Jackson before he knew who Lamar Jackson was. And I think that's what Baker needs is an offense that focuses on his strengths. In that, And so Greg Roman was able to do it for Lamar. I think he, sh- he would be able to do it for Baker and get him playing at his highest level. What do you think about Greg Roman? I definitely think he would be a good add. He's... Definitely would be favored by the people who want more of an offensive person over a defensive person like Sela. Right. Sela is kind of the, the only one that's deep, more defensive-minded. Besides Booger list. McFarlane. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, I think he would be a great addition for the Browns. Who knows what he can do as a head coach, obviously, but that's the same with every other person. Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield are also two very different players, so you have to take this all with, like, a grain of salt. I think... Yeah, we are a run team. We have the run pieces. I think he could really help this team out and create a super dynamic and dangerous offense because we definitely have the pieces. Right. Our next head coach, who obviously is a popular candidate and is not in the league right now, but Mike McCarthy, ex-Green Bay Packers head coach, who's had some success, also kind of left the league on a down note. He's a popular candidate, and we interviewed him a couple days ago. Uh, what do you think the about Browns interviewed him. The, Br- <laughs> the Browns interviewed Mike McCarthy a couple days ago. What do you think about bringing in a guy like McCarthy? I'm I'm not opposed to bringing in a guy like Mike McCarthy. The problem is with him. Well, one, he had a fallout in Green Bay, especially with Aaron Rodgers, and you saw their offense kind of went down with the end of his tenure there, and that's not acceptable when you have a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. And the second thing is he's a very old school. And the thing was, in Green Bay, he wouldn't really try to upgrade his old school with the new data and analytics and new offenses of this league. And that's one of the reasons why he was kind of just ran out of there, because he wouldn't adjust. And that's one thing that he said he's been trying to do over this past offseason that he's have or that he's had just the whole year off, that he's really trying to combine his old school mentality and offense with just the new data analytics and put them together. Which is big because... You you notice with Mike McCarthy, he got to Green Bay and they were having a ton of success, but every year they would decline and decline. He is and a decline. good coach, though. I think he is. I you know he kind of lost that locker room at the end of his tenure, which really scares me because, you know, that's the number one thing is we got to get the culture turned around. We got to get the team winning and believing. And I don't know if these guys are gonna 
flock to a guy like Mike McCarthy. You know what I mean? He's not mo- necessarily the most personable guy. Well, talking about our other candidates too, is like Kevin Stefanski a super personable guy? What do you think about him, Jack? Um, I don't know enough about him personally to like... Well, the thing is, though, you need to be respected. So, I mean, I guess you don't have to be like your, your player's friends as long as they respect you. I think Stefanski could gain more respect. I think he could relate a little bit, and he's more new school. He's willing to adapt to his players. McCarthy, on the other hand, might not do that. But either way, so personality-wise, I think Stefanski is good. But I, I do have questions about Stefanski, too. So in early in this search, I loved Stefanski just because he ran that offense in, in Minnesota, and it was so similar to what the Browns could do because off Minnesota's got two good receivers. Thielen got Diggs. Thielen Diggs. You got Dalvin Cook at running back. Dalvin Cook at running back like Nick Chubb. You have Kirk Cousins, who is actually at this point similar to Baker. Like they're 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 close Kirk in Kirk Cousins career. had a better season than Baker. Oh no, I'm not i I'm not saying stats wise. I'm just saying like no, they're I, both I, like I, average I average that. to good quarterbacks. Like and then and then you have a mediocre tight end and then Kyle so, Rudolph and David and Joker. Right, neither of them are really like special, but they're also not complete scrubs. So I just think comparatively, like if if Stefanski could get the uh, Vikings offense going, then there's no reason that he he shouldn't be able to get the Browns offense going. My my worry with Stefanski is he's always been a run first guy, and I I guess that's not a worry in that like the Browns. I would love if the Browns were run first, but like as you saw. Odell and Jarvis both got pretty irritated by the end of the season. And early in this season, the Vikings receivers were getting irritated as they were not getting any stats. My worry is that if that happens with the Browns, you know, say Stefanski gets a little overwhelmed by being a head coach and the offense struggles a little bit again, is this just going to be a repeat? Are we going to be looking at the same issues that we had this year? I definitely agree with you. We gotta try to incorporate our wide receivers somehow, any way we can, because they are very, very talented. But I think he could come and create a very dynamic run offense for us too, just like someone like Roman. But he's definitely someone I think the Browns should be taking more of a serious look over, because I agree. Just because of his offensive mindset and schemes and everything, he's good. He's really good. But like you said, could he come in and create a dynamic offense on all levels of the field? And that's something that would be hard, especially with the Browns' offensive line right now. But that's something that we got to address in the draft, obviously. Right. Next guy is Brian Dabble, who is the Bills' offensive coordinator. I, I do not want Brian Dabble. The Bills don't obviously don't have the flashiest, hottest guys on their offense, but they're still really not that good. Their passing offense isn't great. Their run offense isn't great. I don't know. I just really... I don't. I wouldn't want to see him. I think there's better guys that we're interviewing, and I think there's better guys that we can get. So I really wouldn't consider Dabble. I think it comes down to that. What you just mentioned. I think I don't dislike him, but I just think there's better guys out there. I will say I do think he's done a pretty solid job with the Bills. You you don't love it. I they're I, in the playoffs right now. They're in the not. playoffs, and the thing is, I mean, when you really look at their roster, they have Josh Allen, John Brown, and Cole Beasley, Devin Singletary, Dawson Knox. They have no real notable guys and yes i mean john brown had a good season what and like stuff. zay jones <laughs> right and it's like so i mean to get that offense moving and to be 11 and 4 or 10 and 5 whatever they are that's something in itself it's right that's a, that's 
impressive in itself. So I do think he is kind of an unknown guy. So someone that is really good with the offense is Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Benini. He is kind of a guy who's been a popular candidate the last couple seasons, but I want to talk to you about what do you th- you know how much is that him and how much is that Andy Reid? So it definitely does have something to do with Andy Reid, obviously. But Andy Reid does produce very good coaches under his coaching tree, and that's something that you could look with Benami. Andy Reid is very good at developing coaches, and I would want to take the chance on Benami. I'm pretty high on him because you've obviously seen how powerful that Chiefs uh, offense is. And a big part of that is Patrick Mahomes and how talented he is. But I really think that Benami could help cater to Baker's needs, especially throwing-wise, and get our throwing offense going. Their run offense isn't that great, and like we said earlier, we're more of a run team. I mean, they're pretty good, but they're well, not the, the thing best. Is, the thing is, the Chiefs have always had a good run offense. Like, think about those Kareem Hunt years. Like, yeah. they were amazing, but like, they've definitely had a down year. I think that's partially due this to year. injuries. They've had not have, they haven't had the best talent, and they did have a down year this year, but I, I agree with you. I think the, I love the way the Chiefs offense operates. There always is someone open. they you know, they're always, they have quick, they rely yeah, they're on they're just so and, fast. Right, and I think the, I mean, Odell and Jarvis are, they're not really known for their big bruising ability. They're quicker, like, skip more skillful guys. Flashy. Yeah, right, flashy. So, and I think that Eric Benimi could get the, the Browns offense going for sure. And Baker has a big arm, that's undeniable. Right. And then you reunite Benami with Kareem Hunt, and then you give him wide receivers like Odell and Jarvis. Obviously, Tyreek Hill is a different like specimen, right? and I'm not going to compare them to Jarvis and Odell because they're all different. But, I mean, you saw what he did with Hill. I think he could do that, something similar with Odell and Jarvis. My only worry with him, again, is like once he leaves Andy Reid and becomes a head coach, if that were the case, you know, how—, how how well is he going to be able to transition? It's obviously an unknown. I don't expect anyone to be able to answer that concretely, but I just I do worry a little bit about that with him. Whereas a guy like McCarthy or you know some of these other dudes, Urban Meyer, they have a little bit. They're a little bit maybe safer, you yeah. could say. Jack, do you want to talk about the front office a little bit? Yeah. So as most of you already know, John Dorsey was fired by the Cleveland Browns, and this is a shock to a lot of people as he brought in some great players like six and 24 baker and chubb um as well as others like uh, denzel jarvis War. denzel odell odell right kareem hunt so he had a he some people don't think he had the best tenure though as obviously he also brought in freddie kitchens who didn't pan out and vernon who that just, trade just didn't look like great. a number of players like tj carey chris hubbard greg robinson just like a lot of guys who have kind of been dud. I don't think TJ Carey's been a dud, but obviously Robinson and Hubbard. And then you have guys like Antonio Callaway who didn't work out. You had right. the huge draft bust of Austin Corbin. I, that, that was big. The right. first pick of the second round, like that would have helped so much if the Browns hit on that, especially with an offensive line prospect. You saw how bad our line was. So that right. was definitely a thing. People, when the news originally came out that Dorsey split ties with the Browns, people were very angry about it. But as kind of time has went on, people have understood why the Browns have done that. And do you want to explain, Jack? Yeah, and more news has come out since. And I think that's, I, I, I think people don't understand or didn't realize at the time how big of a mess the Browns' front office was. Like in Kansas City, Dorsey was fired because of his control freak nature, his his hunger for complete power. So before John Dorsey was fired, the Browns and Jimmy Haslam offered him to restructure his contract. 
ultimately making him take a step down with the power. Which is less control. You would have yeah. to share it with uh, De Podesta. They really wanted to get De Podesta involved. And obviously Dorsey, knowing that he could probably get another gig with full power somewhere else, unsurprisingly said, no, I don't want to do that. And as a result, both sides That was a split. mutual cutoff. Yeah. Right. So I was originally confused at first and disappointed. But looking into it a little bit, it really was a mess, I think. And a lot of coaches, including... I think the Browns' number one candidate for head coach wasn't he refused to come here if that's John Josh, Dorsey, Ma- Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels, right? He refused to come here if Dorsey was the GM, and I think he scared a lot of guys off. And I think for that reason, the Browns felt okay with moving on from him. And that's not the only loss that the Browns could be facing in their front office right now. One of the biggest guys in our front office, Alonzo Highsmith, who is the vice president of operations, he could actually be leaving for a job in Miami. Right, so he is another guy behind the scenes who not a lot of people know about, but is a, a fantastic not only front office guy. front office guy, but he's a great scout for right. the Browns. Finds a lot of really good talent, and then just helps the GM and everything with drafting. Right, so he, he could potentially be lost to the University of Miami job, which I personally think would be a huge loss because Highsmith yeah. has been a huge part in getting this talent here. I just think that losing someone like Highsmith would be an even bigger hit because Dorsey's gone too. Right, and in our search for the next GM, Highsmith and Elliot Wolf were not really being considered. Yeah, and Elliot Elliot Wolf's probably the bigger guy to look at here, especially since Highsmith's leaving. Wolf is this was or is the assistant GM, and they said he's going to stay the assistant GM, but he's a very analytics based person. He was very big with Dorsey in this past draft. He was very high on players like Sione Takitaki, who we have yet seen to play. Right. And so Haslam has came out and said that the GM, the next GM will come from out of house, won't be an in in team hire. And I think that just probably furthers further decreases the chances that Highsmith is back. So he is it's looking like he will leave, which is a big loss. Hopefully we can figure something out, but Elliot Wolf won't be the GM and then the coach and Paul Podesta are supposedly the ones who are going to be calling the shots on who our next GM is. They really want the coach and the GM to have a good working relationship so that there's nothing like a Dorsey and Freddie Kitchens again. Right. Because Dorsey wanted all that power, and he just wouldn't let Freddie do his job. But Freddie was also incapable of doing his job, so <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Right. But they want these guys to work hand-in-hand hand and be a team and not hate each other. And I actually think that's a smart move. That's kind of made me a little bit less disappointed about the Dorsey move just because we do if if the if the front office was that big of a mess then we were really never going to win so I like that let's talk about more football but this time college football Ohio State had the heartbreaking loss to Clemson in the Fiesta Bowls really close game Ohio State was up at the beginning we were looking great but there was a number of things that went wrong that were all in our hands and not in our hands that didn't work out for Ohio State Right. Ohio so, State started off super hot but couldn't score in the red zone. It was really bad. We kept driving down the field, had these great drives, but just kept settling for field goals. Yeah, so they. I was watching the game, and it originally looked like it was on right after the LSU game, and it originally looked like it was going to be a repeat of that same kind of situation where Ohio State was just going to blow them out. They looked like the better team. I mean, they were the better team, and... It just looked 
like it was going to be an absolute beatdown. Unfortunately, I think the tides kind of switched after that Sean Wade call. Yeah, so there was a lot of things that were in Ohio State's hands and a lot of stuff that was not in their hands. I think the biggest thing that people are missing is, yes, the refs did really hurt Ohio State. They totally shifted the momentum, which is huge in college football. The momentum, it's all about the momentum in college football. You'll see teams who are totally dominating like Ohio State did and then just absolutely fall apart after the momentum shifts. And it's happened in games earlier this year with Ohio State versus Wisconsin versus Penn State. And there was a couple big plays that led to the momentum shift. But Ohio State had the opportunity to overcome it, and they didn't. They had multiple chances to score, to stop Clemson, and to just get on top. But that's the thing. They didn't. And that's why it's more upsetting because people keep blaming just the refs. But it wasn't just the refs. It was Ohio State, too. They had the chance, and they didn't take advantage of it. So there's this tweet from Ari Wasserman who covers Ohio State, and he got about nine plays that he thought were super, super game-changing for Ohio State. First one was J.K. Dobbins being caught behind from a 64-yard run. We had to settle for a field goal on that because we couldn't score, and he was able to go five yards further. We had those three points that we needed. The second one, which is arguably the biggest one, was the targeting on Sean Wade. That completely shifted the momentum. That was the shift in momentum. And even Trevor Lawrence said they knew they were going to be up to something after that happened just because they were super pumped up. Right. And you can say that was targeting. You can say that wasn't targeting. But in the end of the day, Ohio State wasn't able to adjust without Sean out and snatch that momentum back. Next one was Tough Borland dropping a pick six. Not surprised. We, uh, yeah, I know how much you love Tough Borland. <laughs> Number four was Jordan Fuller, the touchdown overturned. And this is the one that aggravates me because the Clemson wide receiver had four steps down. This is the one that I think everybody looks at and was like, okay, that's it was the a final catch. Swing. It was a catch. It was a catch, and it was a bad call, and that was, that was the one that people say, all right, the refs lost. The that game. touchdown would have put Ohio State over the top and ended the game. Or not ended the game, but it would have put us over the top, and maybe we would have won. But that absolutely killed Ohio State, and that's the one that was on the rocks. Number five was the roughing the punter on Cameron Brown. Ohio State could have stopped Clemson, and then they end up scoring on that drive because we go and rough their punter. That's undisciplined play, and that's Ohio State's fault. Six was a ball hit the Clemson returner on the OSU final punt. Again, that's just no discipline there. It really hurt us. And then J.K. Dobbins had two touchdown drops at seven and eight. And then, obviously, the last big one of the game was the Fields Olave miscommunication where Chris Olave cut off his route early, and then Justin Fields throws the ball into the end zone, and there's no one to be found besides a Clemson safety. So there were big plays that were in Ohio State's hands and that were out of them. But ultimately, yes, Ohio State did get no help from the refs, but there were opportunities, and they didn't take advantage of them. So that's what's upsetting. But... That's the thing about college football. You're going to lose in bowl games. There's always next year, though. That's the great thing about college football. And Ohio State has a ton of talent, but they're also losing a lot of talent, Jack. Right. They are losing a lot of guys to the league, but... A lot of very talented guys, too. Right. And you can so, discuss those. Ohio State is losing the majority of their guys on the defense, but also some key parts on the offense. They're keeping Justin Fields. They lose J.K. Dobbins, who is a great player first second round pick possibly right and that's going to be a huge loss for the Buckeyes they'll try to replace him with Master Teague who actually had a pretty good uh, year as the backup role 
but we'll see if he can carry the full workload for the Buckeyes. Then you lose Mr. Reliable, Mr. Reliable K.J. Hill, who had the most receptions in Ohio State history, and that's a big loss. And then also as a wide receiver, you lose Benjamin Victor, who was a, definitely a reliable wide receiver for Ohio State with his four years here. But I don't think it's that huge of a loss. He was good, but I don't think he was anything game-changing. And wide receiver is the position that I really think Ohio State will really transition well into just because we have so many good recruits. And development, and, too. And prospects there. And then... Our whole offensive line had the opportunity to leave, but it was very big with Wyatt Davis, who's our right guard, Josh Myers, who's our center, and Thayer Munford, our left tackle, all committed to staying back and playing at Ohio State one more year. So that will really help bring in three of your five stars back. You have Brandon Bowen leaving and Jonah Jackson. Jonah Jackson was arguably one of the best players on the Lions this year. He transferred over from Rutgers, graduate transfer. And then Bowen, he's definitely replaceable. I don't think he was a huge part, but... He was definitely solid for the Ohio State offensive line this year. Offensive line will be huge next year because Ohio State will be look will be looking to be more of a pass offense with J.K. leaving. And then you go over to the defense, and it's really tough. Jack, do you want to highlight some of the guys on the defense who yep. are leaving? So I'm going to let you, get, you give a little analysis. But safety, Jordan Fuller. So Jordan Fuller was huge for the Buckeyes this year just because we played a one safety set. So we just had three corners and a one safety back. And Jordan Fuller's open field tackling was life-saving for Ohio State, and that's what you got to do when there's only one safety. He was so good at tackling guys in the open field, and he will definitely be someone that's hard to replace. Sean Wade was another guy who's actually coming back. Yeah, so big um, news today. Sean Wade announced he's coming back, which is absolutely huge for Ohio State because before that they thought they were going to lose their whole secondary, which includes the top 10 pick Jeff Okuda senior Damon Arnett, and then Fuller, who we just talked about. Right. So that's huge. Sean will move to the outside next year, and that it's, it's awesome for Ohio State because they really needed that. And it will help Sean, too. He's a great player. He could have gone in the first round this year. But if he has if he balls out next year, he could go top 10. Right. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Sean Wade come back and see what he can do next season. Yeah, and we also interviewed him. If you guys haven't checked that out, if you want to go see it, he's a really cool guy. Yeah, and that was a great interview. Uh, linebacker Malik Harrison is another guy. So Malik was also one of our – really good players on the team. He was a senior linebacker. And it'll hurt to have him, but Ohio uh, will hurt to have him gone. But Ohio State has a lot of good linebacker prospects that we could throw in there that I think will do really well. I think we'll move Baron Browning to the outside, who is who was a five star prospect. He really played well this year and came into his own and we saw what he was actually supposed to be. And Al Washington the linebackers coach has done a fantastic job with developing him and just really having him have a bounce back year. And then everybody knows about the super talented defensive end, Chase Young, who will obviously be leaving for the draft. And that's huge. You can't replace someone like Chase Young. No. <laughs> One of the Heisman yeah. candidates. Yeah. yeah. It's just irreplaceable. And that's the same with Jeffrey Akuda, the cornerback. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, he's just a, such a good cover cornerback. He has a very high chance of being a top five pick. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. He's so talented. Right. I, I would say, honestly, he's even better than Zen- Denzel Ward, too. Oh, Plus, he so. has the size over Denzel. And then okay. our other cornerback, Damon Arnett, who's leaving, who had a huge bounce back year. One of the best decisions he's ever made to come back for one more year at Ohio State. And, again, he'll be a big loss in the secondary. And he he's a baller. I mean, he played the whole season through a broken arm, too. Right. So... Two other guys that are leaving, Devon Hamilton and Jay Sean Cornell. Jay Sean Cornell, he's replaceable. He was he was definitely good for Ohio State, but I, I don't think it's a huge loss for us. But uh, one of the bigger losses on the interior line is Devon Hamilton, who wasn't even talked about last year. 
and then comes in, has a huge year for Ohio State, and puts his name in draft contention, which is huge. Like, he had a very, very good year, and he's a super nice kid. I'm really happy for him. But that will definitely be a big loss. Ohio State's seen big losses in their secondary in line, which will hurt. So right. who are we going to replace these guys with? Running back, you go with Master Teague. Wide receiver, you have Chris Olave there. Then Garrett Wilson will take the other wide receiver spot. And he is super talented, five-star recruit from Texas. Had that huge catch versus Clemson in the first quarter where we went up and snagged that ball. And he's a future first-round pick, an absolute stud. And then you have Julian Fleming coming in, who's also an absolute stud. Number one receiver prospect in the 2020 class. He has an NFL-ready body. He just had a huge touchdown in the All-American game, so I'm really excited to come see him play. I don't see how you couldn't get him on the field. And then you'll you'll have guys on the slot, Jameson Williams, and then you move to the line, and you only have to replace two guys, but the line's going to be huge because we're really going to need to protect Justin Fields. You saw him get hurt, Jack, and that really did not help versus Clemson because he had limited mobility. And just his play style, he's not the most durable guy, so you want to make sure he's protected. Yeah, so... I really think with the line that they'll move our center, Josh Myers, over to left guard and put Harry Miller at center, who was a five-star recruit, and I think he's ready to play, and I think he'll totally ball out. And then at right tackle, I think they'll put Nick petit Freer there, who was also another five-star recruit and who hasn't really lived up to his potential but also hasn't gotten that huge playing time where he could show it. So I really think our offensive line could be amazing next year. We just really need these two guys or just the whole offensive line to step up and show who they really are. The defensive side will definitely be more difficult. We only have three returning or four returning starters, if you want to say Tyreek Smith is a starter. But, yeah, you have Pete Werner and Tuff Borland returning. And Baron Browning really didn't start, So, uh, but I think they'll put him on the outside. Tuff Borland is – I mean, he's kind of the MVP of that defense. Absolutely not. <laughs> no, he'll be back. Werner will be back. And Werner's solid, tough. You know how I feel about him, Jack. Mm-hmm. And then Barry Brown, I think he'll be great. Zach Harrison is defensive end. He was a five-star prospect. He's awesome. I th- I think he he's the next per- he's the next D end out of DNU. He'll be the he's. I'm not saying he's Chase Young, but he'll he'll be the one that's closest to it out of anybody. And then you're replacing the whole line. So you'll have Haskell Garrett, who played high school football with Tate Martell. He'll be our defensive tackle. Then Tommy Togia, who actually got a, a lot of playing time at nose tackle for Ohio State this year. He's a huge guy. And then Tyreek Smith from Cleveland Heights, who was the, actually Ohio High School Player of the Year in 2018. And I really think he could have a big year starting. And then the secondary is going to be huge trying to replace that because that's definitely, I mean, the kids who did play this year did get a lot of experience, but I think that will be the toughest thing to replace, especially trying to replace people like Jeff Akuda. Right. Yeah, so you'll have Sean on the outside, and then you'll mix in Seven Banks, Mir Ripe, and Cameron Brown, who all have had limited playing experience. But, I mean, not limited. They've gotten a good amount of playing experience. And then safety, you're going to throw Josh Proctor back there, who I think is the most safe out of all of those guys. He had that huge hit on Wisconsin's quarterback at the end of the Big Ten Championship. Just absolutely blew him up. So college football is all about how you can replace talent and move on. And I think Ohio State will have no problem doing that, even though it could be shaky at the beginning of the season. Right. So hopefully they bounce back and get some revenge on the tough loss they had. Moving on, I want to talk a little bit about the Indians just because we don't talk about them too much this time of year. Obviously, the Kluber trade. I mean, as much as we don't like to accept it, it was pretty much a salary dump, Jack. Right. And I mean, we couldn't afford him. 
we couldn't afford him and honestly it's not the worst thing he was he was getting a little washed not to I don't want to disrespect Kluber like that but he his definitely his prime was behind him yeah I mean I just I I really enjoyed him as a player he was definitely one of the best pitchers of the decade oh for sure <laughs> but it, it will be a loss with his experience, and if he does get back to that form, then dang, you gave up a Cy Young caliber pitcher. Right. But who knows if he can do that after his broken arm. Right. So we get uh, Emmanuel Kloss and Delano DeShields from the Texans, or from the Rangers. Rangers yeah, Rocksport. Texas Rangers. <laughs> and you want to give a little analysis on those two players? So DeShields is another outfielder that's pretty similar to all of the outfielders that we have, which really doesn't help at all. Because we have so many outfielders on this roster right now that are good at fielding, but who can't really hit. The Shields, though, the Indians like him because he's good versus lefties. He hit 274 versus them last year. Kind of struggled versus righties with 236 average. But he'll come in. They'll probably try to put him in right field since Mercado will be in center and Lupo will be in left. And he'll platoon with guys like Greg Allen. And they'll really try to get him going versus lefties. Uh, he's not really the bigger piece that we got in this deal. He was kind of a throw-in, I think. But they they did want him. The bigger piece is Emmanuel Classe, who's a 21-year-old reliever. He has absolute cheddar. Yeah, I, I mean, more lingo, he throws fuzz, bro. Like, total fuzz. Yeah, but he throws absolute heat. He throws this amazing cutter, and it averages at uh, 99.2 miles per hour, and it's really unhittable. And he was great versus righties last year with a 1.50 ERA, but he had a he kind of struggled versus lefties with 3.18 ERA, and that's not like awful, but definitely you would want him to get that down because you want him, especially with the new relievers rule, you want him to be able to face lefties and righties. Right. But I mean, it was also a small sample size with 23.1 innings pitched, and he's also 21 years old. But Indi- a lot of potential. There's so much potential, right. and the Indians are great at developing pitching and helping pitchers in the major leagues. So I really think that's a big. It's definitely the bigger pickup in the deal, even though it was a money dump. Oh, and I far, think right. it will be a good move, especially for the future, just because he's young, he's talented, and the Indians will be able to really like work him. And then the other thing that the Indians did, Jack, Cesar Hernandez. So uh, we signed second baseman Cesar Hernandez. Last played for the Phillies. He's actually played for them his whole career. And that fills our gap in the infield. So now we just have Santana at first, Cesar Hernandez at second. Frankie Lindor at shortstop. Hopefully he stays. I love him. Mm-hmm. And Jose Ramirez at third base. Hernandez is a switch hitter. He hit 279 last year. The thing that the Indians love about him is he's durable. And we're not trying to jinx him, knock on wood. But Kipnis was not durable. He was always injured. On the other hand, Hernandez has only missed two games in the past two years. He's played 161 games the past two seasons. So he's durable, and the Indians love that about him. They gave him a one-year, $6.5 million deal. And he's also better at fielding than Kipnis, too, which is an upgrade. He had a war of 2.5 last year. Kipnis's was 0.5. And he hits really well versus righties. He's a switch hitter, which Francona loves because now his whole infield's all switch hitters. Um, so he can really mix and match versus pitchers. But he hit 286 versus righties and 263 versus lefties. And that's another thing. He's bringing a higher batting average than Kipnis had in recent years. Yeah, but I'm definitely excited to see him with the Indians this year. He will super, super help us in the middle of the order or even at the top of the order and just bring a, a guy who can get on base, which the Indians have really struggled to have, and will really just help our lineup score run because we got the power hitters. We just need these guys that can get on base. Right. I think that is a good upgrade over Kipnis. 
and it'll be interesting to see if Terry Francona can get this tribe rolling. Uh, so anyway, I that think about wraps I it think up. that's just about it for us today. Our first episode of 2020. A little bit of a longer episode, but we did cover a lot, Jack. Right, we covered a ton. Hopefully you guys enjoyed. If you're listening now, thank you so much. Absolutely. <laughs> if you made it this far. Yeah. Thank you for listening. and uh, Thank you for coming on again, Jack. It's always right. a pleasure. And hopefully we can get some episodes out the second semester. It's definitely tough being at school, but... We'll work hard for you guys. Absolutely. And thank you for all the support last year. Super excited for 2020. And thank you guys if you made it this far listening to the Hottest Take Sports Podcast. We're officially on iTunes and Spotify and all podcasting platforms now so you can find the show there. Today's intro beat was made by Copyright Free Music on YouTube. We have a link to it in the description. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to stay updated with our show. Also make sure you rate the show and leave some feedback. Thanks again, y'all, and see you next time. (laughs) 